This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. You know, we could all do with more moments of rest in our lives. I want to share with you a two-part talk I gave at Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. Enjoy. And I, I also come to you as a parent um, of a, a toddler, a two-and-a-half-year-old, Eva, who will be three in December, and a two-month-old baby uh, named Oscar. So I am exhausted <laughs> for many reasons. And someone asked me, you know, what, what group of parents this morning of reflection was targeted to? You know, parents of, of toddlers, of uh, young kids, preteens, teenagers even. And I said, really, anyone who experiences some sort of chaos and craziness in their life. So, everyone, right? So, you know, whether or not your parents have kids or, you know, your kids are, are, you know, growing up or a bit older, I hope you'll get something out of this morning. And my two-year-old daughter, Eva, is just full of energy, as two-year-olds are, and bouncing off the walls is not uh, too much of a stretch of a metaphor, right? She demands lots of attention and wants to help with a lot of things. So if my uh, wife or I are cooking at the stove, she wants to come and help. Um, And she did burn herself once, so that lesson has been taught. (laughs) When we're putting cereal in her bowl in the morning, she wants to help and pour the milk. But when we're not responding as quickly as she likes, um, her voice will increase in volume and she'll start stomping her feet rapidly and start panting. And in these circumstances, my wife Sarah will get down to her level, look her in the eye and say, let's pause, let's pause. In other words, let's, let's take a breath first and then address what the concern is. And we found this very helpful whenever she's trying to express something and we're not hearing it, or if she's frustrated or overwhelmed. Let's pause. And so this is the title of um, this morning of reflection today. And I find this idea of pausing um, extremely helpful. Um, And it's also rooted in the Ignatian spiritual tradition. St. Ignatius encourages us to pause once or twice a day to reflect on the day so far, right? To notice where God has been or where we may have felt some overwhelm or could have been kinder or more patient. And this is the gist of the examine prayer which is simply a 24, a review of the the last 24 hours of your day, right? Noticing, seeing the bigger picture. And the big question for me when I do this review is, what does God see as God looks at my situation, right? Imagining God gazing upon me and upon my day amazingly gives a fresh perspective. I start beginning to see things that I hadn't noticed before. A more whole view. 
Or I notice God is not as worried about the things I'm worried about and getting anxious about. And perhaps I was catastrophizing something, like a toddler might. And maybe I notice that the exhaustion comes from, that comes from caring for my children reveals to me the gift of parenthood in some paradoxical way. And that actually happened to me the other day when Eva had a bit of a meltdown. And when it was all over, she, she looked me in the eye and she said, I'm glad you're my father. A two-year-old. <laughs> and it just, I melted, you know, and it, it just, it made, it made it all worth it in that moment. And my wife had a different reaction when Eva said the same thing to her. I'm glad you're my father. <laughs> now, the examine prayer does um, a few things for us. And if you pray it even just once a day, like at the end of the day, it develops a habit of awareness and gratitude. And I'm able to see when maybe I didn't give enough time to myself or um, when I was loving or unloving. Or I might notice God's beauty in a moment with my child or in a meal. And the example that that stays with me um, was uh, a few months ago. I was coming home from work and my wife, uh, it was her turn to to make dinner that night. And I come through the door and Eva was already sitting at the table uh, beginning the meal. and, And I opened the door and she said, hi, dad. It's just this wonderful greeting. And... My wife made these amazingly scrumptious um, uh, burgers with melted pepper jack cheese and avocado on it. And it was just, oh, it was like the best burger I ever had. And in my exam that night, that was what came up. Like, that was the highlight of my day. That was my God moment for the day. This wonderful greeting um, from my daughter um, and this is this tasty burger. Like, that was where I found God. And I wouldn't have realized that. That wouldn't have stuck with me if I hadn't taken that pause to reflect on the different highlights of my day. So the examine wakes us up to our reality. And this is why the examine is not so much an examination of conscience but of consciousness, right? Are we awake, aware, conscious? Whenever we find ourselves reacting negatively to something in the moment, it means we're asleep. It means we're we're allowing our worst self through our ego. And if there's anything I've learned in my two and a half years of nearly three years of parenting, your worst self can come through. It reminds me of the parable of the thief in the night where the thief breaks in because the servants were not vigilant. Negativity and reactiveness and ego sneaks in quickly when we're asleep, when we're unaware. 
And so the practice of the examine helps make us aware. Right? If we can look back and do this reflecting at the end of the day, being, a mo- being aware of the moments that we were asleep during the day, then we can start beginning to do that in the moment, when we're actually in the moment. Now, our daughter goes to a Montessori school, and if you're familiar with the Montessori philosophy, you'll know the importance of connecting with your child um, before anything else. Right? And this is the moment where we get down to her level, look her in the eye, and say, let's pause. Okay. So rather than us reacting to a tantrum or negative behavior, we pause, allow the child to pause, and then connect. The relationship comes first, right? Before, before any kind of correction. And the pause helps us cool down, right? Gives us space to see, to take a breath, to regroup. From a spiritual perspective, these kinds of pauses throughout our day are a way to connect with God and to open our eyes. It's what we do in the examine, but here we're doing it in the moment, right? You might call these pauses mini-Sabbaths, and I'll talk more about Sabbath later. Viktor Frankl said, Between stimulus and response, there is space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. In that space is consciousness, awareness. When our blindness is no more, when we can see and use our agency to respond. It's a pause when we can see through the gaze of God. So a very helpful tool for adults and toddlers alike. And so the purpose is to remove blindness, which God is always seeking to do, right? And this is symbolized in the gospel with Jesus curing physical blindness, right? He kind of drives that point home with the curing of the blind, right? So do we do this not just in our families, but at work, when we're out and about, when we read the news, um, maybe in a heated argument or in the middle of a baby crying? Yes, even when my baby boy is screaming... I can pause, take a breath, and for a moment, look through God's eyes. I can do that. I can connect with my son and with God, and for a moment, see with new eyes. If it comes after an argument with someone, I can, I can reflect, perhaps by way of an examine and see through God's loving eyes at the other person, and maybe finding a a bit of empathy in that. Let me read that Viktor Frankl quote again. Between stimulus and response, there is space. That in that space is our power to choose our response. 
In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Now, the Ignatian tradition in the the examine really tries to move us from reaction to response. Right? A response implies agency, non-reactiveness, choice. Right? It's what we're trying to teach our children all the time, right? And as Frankel says, it helps us grow and moves us to freedom. Now, being a parent, you can learn a lot from uh, children's books and TV programs. And if you're familiar with Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, you'll know that it's just as much for the parents as it is for the kids. Now, there's this scene where Daniel and his friend Prince Wednesday can't play on the beach because it's going to rain. So they play beach inside. But they took it too literally and actually brought buckets of sand and dumped it onto the kitchen floor. And Mom Tiger comes in and she's like, what are you doing? She's frustrated, right? And Daniel sees his mom's face and says, boy, Mom, Your cheeks look red and your face looks funny. Are you mad? Yes, she says. But then she pauses and says to herself, I must calm down. And then she sings the song Daniel used in the past when he was mad. When you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. One, two, three, four. Now she can continue the conversation with Daniel because she herself has paused and calmed down. It's a great message for parents, and believe me, I've had to do that myself from time to time. This morning, actually, (laughs) but for coming here, right? Sometimes the chaos and craziness of life makes us want to roar. The other day, uh, my wife Sarah was, uh, had, uh, had an evening uh, event, and so I had our two-month-old, and I had him in the ergo, and I was trying to give Eva a bath. And so Eva's in the bath, and I wash her. She's clean, but she's still playing in the water. And, you know, here I'm trying to, bounce the baby and keep him calm. And I walk out of the room for a second and I come back and now Eva's rubbing soap all over her. And, and I said, now you have to stand up and I need to pour water on you and clean you off, right? I was feeling the frustration rise. And she, so we, you know, I washed her off and she was standing up and I said, don't sit down because the water's all soapy now. She sat right down, and I was so frustrated, and I said, damn it, Eva, and I, like, threw the, the cup down into the water, and she started crying, and I paused, and I said, I said, Eva, I'm really feeling frustrated. I'm so sorry that I shouted at you. I'm just feeling angry, and after things settled, and we got her in her PJs, in the room, I I again apologized to her and I said, I'm so sorry that I shouted at you. I was feeling frustrated. 
And she said, it's okay, Dad. Sometimes things happen. Wow. (laughs) I don't know where she got that from, but she was showing me some empathy, whether she realized it or not. Um, She was recognizing my need to pause and to cool down, right, and to, to regroup. So this pausing in the moment and naming the feeling is helpful. It's giving, it's giving space for God to come in, to, to get out of my own mind and ego for a moment. Right? And you see Jesus doing this in the Gospels, right? Going off to uh, a quiet place to pray before moving on. And the other day, my wife made a point that made me feel a lot better. She said, if Jesus was fully human, then he also had tantrums as a toddler. It would only make sense developmentally. Like, yeah, that's true. Um, And, you know, in the scriptures, you don't have much of Jesus' childhood, but after the preteen Jesus in the temple, the scriptures say that Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. And I I like to imagine that Jesus' growth in wisdom meant relying on those pauses of prayer, uh, pauses of connection with God and others. And you have these moments of Jesus pausing and touching someone who, um, who needs healing. Right? He looked people in the eyes. And there's this line I love that you can easily miss when Jesus is talking to the rich young man, you know, who didn't want to sell his possessions. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. There's the, there's the loving gaze of God right there. A look of empathy, perhaps. Jesus' self-reflection, I believe, made him a truly whole human being. And he pauses to go to the synagogue, just like we pause and go to church each week. See, some pauses are built into our lives, right, intentionally, and others we have to make for ourselves. And for me, it comes in um, a moment of taking a breath or bringing God to mind uh, or taking a minute to myself in the car uh, in the garage before I go in and greet my family. The examine also cultivates um, a habit of gratitude. Ignatius says um, we begin the prayer noticing the moments and things of the day that we're grateful for. And I've been doing this actually at the end of the day with with my daughter. I'll ask her to name a sad moment and a happy moment. And we thank God for the gifts and lessons of both. And I've, I've found it's very hard to hold negativity and gratitude in your heart at the same time. Almost impossible. And often before bed, I name three things I'm grateful for at the end of the day. And I find I sleep a lot better when I do that. So the next time you notice negativity creep up within you, 
Name something you're grateful for. Whenever we do these things, we wake up a little bit more and see through God's eyes. So I want to um, I want to begin with a scripture passage uh, from the Gospel of Luke. After Jesus left the synagogue, he entered the house of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was afflicted with a severe fever, and they interceded with him about her. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and waited on them. At sunset, all who had people sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on each of them and cured them. And demons also came out from many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus left and went to a deserted place. The crowds went looking for him, and when they came to him, they tried to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, To the other towns also I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus had a pretty busy day after, just before this passage, He was reading from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue and cured a demoniac. And then he visits Simon and cures his mother-in-law. But then the passage says, At sunset, all who had people sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he cures them. The next paragraph begins, At daybreak. Jesus was curing and healing all night. He must have been absolutely exhausted. So it says that he left and went to a deserted place. But then the passage says that the crowds went looking for him. And when they came to him, they tried to prevent him from leaving them. And Jesus stands firm. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because for this purpose I have been sent. Have you ever had a day like that where it's just nonstop? Demand after demand? There's probably no one in this room who has not experienced a day like that. Right? Whether at work, at home, with your children... Now, I talked earlier about this idea of a mini Sabbath, right? A pause, taking a breath uh, during any kind of chaotic moment of, of your day. But sometimes we need a longer pause, right? That's why you're here this morning. And so here in this passage, we see Jesus recognizing his need for rest. Now, uh, Wayne Muller, the author of the book Sabbath, says... Jesus did not wait until everyone had been properly cared for, until all who sought him were healed. 
He did not ask permission to go, nor did he leave anyone behind on call or even let his disciples know where he was going. Jesus obeyed a deeper rhythm. When the moment for rest had come, the time for healing was over. He would simply stop, retire to a quiet place, and pray. No doubt Jesus managed burnout well, right? Or potential burnout. Now, we all know the the origin of the Jewish Sabbath. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh, Genesis says, God rested. Not that God needs rest, but the Genesis story conveys that rest is built into the fabric of creation. Exodus says, on the seventh day, God rested and was refreshed. And the Hebrew word that's used for refreshed literally means exhaled. God exhaled. Consider how the animals and even trees exhale. The cycles and patterns of nature have this ebb and flow, like work and pause, growth and rest. The ocean waves, the day and the night, our lungs, our heart, moments of needed rest in between. Now, we all learned the commandment, keep holy the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath day for Christians became about going to church, about obligation. Even in Jesus' time, the legalism around the Sabbath was trying to prevent him from healing people, right? Right? That's what the Pharisees and scribes were always complaining to him. Oh, you're doing all these good things on the Sabbath. Legalism. What's interesting is that prior to the passage that I read to you, Jesus was in the synagogue reading from the scroll on the Sabbath, right? He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And then he healed a demoniac. He gets to Simon's house, still on the Sabbath. But when he goes off to rest, it's daybreak, the next day. Jesus' true Sabbath rest comes the day after the obligatory Sabbath. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with taking rest on the same day you go to church, right? But don't confuse church obligation with holy rest. Now, this holy rest is not just about napping, but it can mean family time, reading a book, doing something you enjoy, taking a picnic with your family. There was a mother who wanted to enroll one of her children 
in uh, one of her religious ed programs. And she complained to me that it was on Sunday. Sunday is for family time, she told me. I was a bit surprised because I'm used to religious ed programs happening on Sunday, right, after church. It's okay to make time for church and family on the same day. And Sunday doesn't need to be the only time that you spend with family. And I, I get that we have busy lives. I do. But we need to get that the Sabbath became a commandment because God knew our need for the exhale. It kind of seems that busyness has become a virtue. How are you? Oh, busy. Right? It's, it's kind of become a badge of honor, right? We love telling people that we're busy. I feel like when I ask, how are you? To, to people, probably like maybe eight times out of ten, people say, oh, busy. We need an exhale. We need to not be busy. The Sabbath is a making room for what's important. God, family, rest. Not email, not laundry. Right? Now we can make room for God by going to church. That's fine. But we also make room for God by being with our family, making love with our spouse, doing some spiritual reading, and even taking a nap. I find actually a lot of people who come on uh, weekend retreats here are surprised by how much they nap while they're on retreat. And they don't, they don't recognize their need for this rest until they actually make the space for it. And they realize how exhausted they are, how busy they've been. You know, before electricity and artificial light, humanity had a lot healthier pattern of work and rest, right? Darkness brought the necessary rest before the next day's work. Studies have shown that we're more productive with good rest. Probably more loving people, too. We see how this need is built into us as babies, right? A well-rested baby is a happy baby. There's very, very much truth to that. So Jesus goes off to a deserted place to rest when he recognizes his need for it. And he doesn't make excuses, right? He doesn't make excuses. So how do you find that deserted place for rest when you recognize the need for it? Coming to something like this is certainly an example. But when you don't come away to a retreat house, how do you do that in your daily life? And do you make 
Do you make a day a Sabbath day? If you have younger children, do you have a, a day where you fully devote to them? Don't return that email. Don't do the laundry. The world will not end. Wouldn't it be wonderful the next time when someone says, how are you? You can tell them how not busy you are. Now that's if they're asking right after you do the Sabbath day, right? There's the story of a Jewish couple who got married and the wife's grandparents generously bought them a washer and dryer. And the grandfather explained to them that it was a Jewish washer and dryer. And they said, what makes, what makes them Jewish? And he smiled and he said, they won't work on Shabbat. I know someone who was a corporate executive who, even on vacation, he felt he absolutely had to be available to answer emails and to take calls. Otherwise, things would fall apart. He had no boundaries. There were no boundaries. And I think that's, maybe that's the crucial thing about the Sabbath is, you know, whether it's a whole day or whether it's, you know, a momentary pause, like a mini Sabbath, is boundaries. Jesus had boundaries with his disciples and followers. When he needed time for self-care and rest, he made it. He made it work. Boundaries are necessary in all aspects of life. Do people assume you are available 24-7? I make the mistake of checking my email at night and responding right away, and now people know that I respond to emails all day long, you know, within five minutes. I'm not setting good boundaries for myself. Do your children Assume you're on call and don't need mommy or daddy time. What boundaries do you set with your children? My wife and I even recognize our need to balance spending time together and having solitary time. So some evenings we allow each other the space to read or watch something on our own. We have friends who call it parallel play. Sometimes a Sabbath moment is about doing nothing of significance. It might be getting up early and sipping your coffee while just staring out the window. Wayne Muller talks about this practice called slotha yoga. When you wake up in the morning, he says, don't get up, stay in bed, review your dreams. Notice how it feels to be in your body. Do not be hurried by your impending responsibilities, but rather luxuriate in the softness of the bed covers. Watch how the light is coming into the room. Read a little, daydream, wonder about breakfast. And maybe that's just five minutes. Slotha yoga. <laughs> 
God would delight in that, in that moment of quiet for you. And during the day, take those let's pause moments. Take a breath. Sigh. Connect with reality. Respond rather than react. Look through God's eyes at your situation. Choose a Sabbath day where you set boundaries, giving you the freedom to rest and to be with family and to be fully present, fully present. Maybe you choose a device or appliance and let that rest. Give your phone a rest. Give your washing machine a rest. Give your TV a rest. It deserves it. And at the end of the day, pray, pray an exam. Name three things you're grateful for. Just exhale. For more, visit GodInAllThings.com. And if you've never had the chance to make an Ignatian retreat, or even if you have, try our five-day retreat by email, focusing on five themes from the Ignatian spiritual tradition. The retreats go from Tuesday to Saturday. Each morning by email, you'll receive material for prayer and a little Ignatian inspiration. Visit GodInAllThings.com slash email retreat to sign up. The retreat will begin the next Tuesday. That's godinallthings.com slash email retreat.